0: The Lunar Eclipse in Taurus, next on Horoscope Highlights.
1: Hi there and welcome. This is Amanda, the founder of Astrology Hub, and you're listening to our Week Ahead Snapshot with world-class astrologer, historian, and author of the Cosmic Calendar, Christopher Renstrom. This show is designed to give you a quick overview of the Week Ahead, enabling you the gift of choice and how you navigate and weave these energies into your daily life. Enjoy!
0: Hello, my name is Christopher Renstrom, and I'm your weekly horoscope columnist here on Astrology Hub. And this week, I want to talk to you about the lunar eclipse taking place in the zodiac sign of Taurus on October 28th. But before I do... Did you know that you could read about transits to your own horoscope sign every week by subscribing to my newsletter? Yes, go to astrologyhub.com horoscope to subscribe. Again, that's astrologyhub.com horoscope. Now, let's go ahead and talk about that lunar eclipse in Taurus. Something that I find fascinating about the eclipses that we've been dealing with, and basically what we're going through right now, is what astrologers call eclipse season. That's where you have a solar eclipse followed by a lunar eclipse. Some years you have a lunar eclipse followed by a solar eclipse. And some years you might even get a solar eclipse with two lunar eclipses. But this one's pretty heavy and intense on its own, so I don't think we need any added lunar eclipses being thrown on into the mix. What's fascinating about this is a sort of running theme, which one can see when one goes ahead and looks at the planets. And as astrologers, this is what we are always looking for. Recently, I've been talking to you about Mars uh, square to Pluto that was taking place uh, in the week that preceded a solar eclipse in Libra, and then the following week there was a Sun-Pluto square. So you can get a sense that there was a lot of Mars and Pluto energy that was going on uh, as the planets were forming squares on either side of the eclipse that took place in Libra. What's interesting about that is Libra, of course, is ruled by the planet Venus. Now we're moving into a lunar eclipse in Taurus, and Taurus is ruled by the planet Venus. And once again, we see Mars is a very powerful player. Uh, Mars was the planet with its square to Pluto that started off those three weeks around the solar eclipse in Libra that were so tumultuous and difficult. And once again, with this lunar eclipse, Mars is playing a role because it will be opposing Jupiter in the sky. And that's going to play a very, very pivotal point in the upcoming transits. But let me break it down for you, because at this point, it always starts to sound like, you know, one of those sandwiches where one pile of meat is being stacked on another pile of meat and slathered with mustard. I I think those were Dagwood sandwiches back in the day. Blondie's husband, Dagwood, always had a tendency to make those sandwiches in the middle of the night when he was feeling nervous. Well, let me break this down to you. And and we switch from a, a Dagwood sandwich to one of those finger sandwiches served at tea. Let's talk about what a lunar eclipse means. A lunar eclipse, as you can, as you probably correctly surmise, is the counterpoint to a solar eclipse. A solar eclipse is when the moon passes in front of the sun. We all saw that to great dramatic effect here in the West uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Um, and the moon passes in front of the sun and blocks the sun's light. The temperatures cool, the light falls from the sky almost as if curtains or drapes are being dropped and one is surrounded in darkness and coldness if one is in fact in the direct shadow of that particular eclipse, the solar eclipse. The lunar eclipse uh, takes place during the full moon. So where a solar eclipse is very dramatic if it takes place during the day because it's the sun's light disappearing in the middle of the day, what you have with the lunar eclipse is a full moon. So it's the full moon at night that is being eclipsed or overshadowed. In this case, it's not being overshadowed or eclipsed by the sun, but rather by the planet Earth. You see, a full moon takes place when the moon is opposite the sun. You can see this in an astrological chart. If you look in your chart and you see that your sun is in Taurus and there's a moon in Scorpio, you were born under a full moon. All right, so that's, that's always the quickest and easiest way to find a full moon in an astrological chart. In the sky, what happens, when the moon is opposite the sun, it's at its brightest, it's at its fullest. In the sky, what happens during a lunar eclipse is that the Earth is passing between the sun and the moon. And so it's casting its shadow on the moon. This is why the moon begins to appear red or orange, sometimes even gold, uh, during a lunar eclipse. It's kind of flaring up as the shadow of the uh, planet Earth goes across it. And we are plunged into darkness in the middle of the night. Uh, Nowadays, we turn on the flashlight on our cell phone and look around for something if, if we're feeling estranged in the dark. But back in the day in ancient societies, this was a very frightening event because it looked as if the moon were being swallowed. It looked as if the moon were being swallowed whole by a dragon. And that's essentially how it translated into astrology with the moon being opposite the sun on the elliptic that being associated to the lunar nodes, and even in medieval woodcuts, you will see actual dragons swallowing the sun or swallowing the moon to symbolize either a solar eclipse or a lunar eclipse. So it was basically the light in the sky being swallowed whole and darkness pervading. And a lot of things came out of that. Um, uh, Eclipses carried with them a very dark and notorious energy. You know, evil things are going to happen because it's all gone dark and even today in uh societies in Indonesia for instance um there's this feeling and Mesoamerica there uh, or back in the day in Mesoamerica uh but maybe it's still going on in Mesoamerica I I, I I i anyway it comes out of those two regions there was this idea that uh when the moon or the sun was swallowed whole that the denizens of the underworld were released upon the planet And they could, you know, have their way with us. Uh, Basically, what was being talked about is that the lights of the sky have been diminished. The ruler of the day and the ruler of the night, their governance was being diminished. And because their governance was diminished, the underworld was free to uh, come onto the surface and attack people like in, I don't know, some sort of zombie apocalypse movie or something like that. That's why in the Indonesian nations, they will take out uh, pots and pans and spoons. And they will uh, bash them, you know, and make clank them, make, uh, bang on them to make loud noises, you know, and maybe even fire off fireworks. And this was to scare away the demons. They were like, oh no, uh, fireworks, let's let's run back and hide. Okay, so this is why it was done, you know. And, and um, no, I don't grab a pan and a spoon and start banging it during a lunar eclipse, although I've been tempted a couple of times, but uh, that's where that idea came from. Uh, in the As we got into sort of the early medieval and the Renaissance period, the eclipses became divided into two camps. So that solar eclipses were always um, associated with the overthrow of a king or a state head of government. Uh, so solar eclipses, when the sun disappeared from the sky, usually signaled that there was going to be a change in leadership. Uh, that that maybe the king or the queen would die or be overthrown. And so anyone who was in charge of um, a city-state or a ziggurat or a kingdom, you know, got very nervous whenever there was a solar eclipse in the sky. It's like, am I going to be overthrown? No, oh dear, you know. And so solar eclipses dealt with the head of state, okay, the person in charge. And lunar eclipses, because the moon rules the body, uh, lunar eclipses dealt with the body politic, Okay, uh, a simple way of putting it nowadays would be the people who are ruled by the head of state, so you could have um a head of state who suddenly dies in office or is overthrown and and a people like, Oh my goodness, what's going to happen? Our king or queen has died you know we're 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 at odds, you know we don't we're in mourning, but we're also afraid that we've lost good governance, or if there was a lunar eclipse, it could be there's a blight upon the land. We're suffering plagues. We're suffering uh, a drought. Uh, things are dying and, or economic times are hard. And so we're going to turn around and blame the heads of state and storm their castles and, and, and things like that. So, so eclipses would go back and forth uh, in, in particular dominions. The solar eclipse always dealt with the head of state and the lunar eclipse dealt with the body politic. Uh, lunar eclipses have also carried on that idea of dealing with body or health issues. So, if there's a lunar eclipse uh, in Taurus and is that and if that has any sort of connection to perhaps the sixth house or the rising sign, there might be health matters that you want to go ahead and take a look at. Um, a quick side note about uh, eclipses and health matters is that what's kind of nice is that they give you the heads up before um, ahead of time before things become really dreadful, so that you have plenty of time to go ahead and nip it on the bud or take care of it. So that's, that's actually one of the uh, positive things that can come out of an eclipse. So with the lunar eclipse, what we're going to be experiencing is basically trouble in the land, uh, trouble in the body politic. Uh, nowadays, I could already hear people saying, oh, really, this is relegated to just this one lunar eclipse? Do you know how long there's been trouble in the land and the body politic? Okay, okay. I understand all those things, but 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 this is going to become more acute. This is going to become more powerful. Um, how we might register it in our day-to-day lives is that we might register a sort of physical unease. Uh, that's not necessarily a health matter, but it might be something in which we feel very uh, physically uncertain or anxious or, or maybe even upset about a situation. Moreover, if we go into the astrological sign of Taurus, there could be difficulty—that difficulties in areas of life that are associated with the zodiac sign of Taurus. Okay, so on one hand, there might be difficulty with cattle, but I don't think all of us own cattle. But um, more specifically, there might be difficulty around issues around possession, around property, around the things that you own or the land that you work. Or maybe even the trade or the or, or or the job that you work. There may be issues around that. And of course, because Taurus is famously associated with money and finances, as well as property, there might be issues around the area of money, okay? And this and, and the issues are going to be, they're going to be rifts, okay? That's always really, a really hard word to pronounce, rifts, um, R-I-F-T-S, rifts, splits over money, splits over property, splits over dominion, because this is what's going on when we get an opposition. The sun and the moon are opposite one another in the sky, and so there's a split. Okay, this is not the same thing as a dispute, okay, which would be a square. Um, a square can be more combative, and we're going to have it out, we're going to argue, we're going to pursue agencies, and 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 this is what's going to happen. What can happen with an eclipse or any sort of planetary opposition And perhaps the most dramatic example of a planetary opposition would be the opposition of the sun to the moon. Okay. Um, And so it's been eclipsed. So there is this split, there's this rift, and it doesn't look like there's going to be any sort of mending, or at least any sort of mending soon. Now, the next thing we're going to want to naturally uh, ask ourselves is, what's going to be the caliber of this rift? What's going to be the caliber of this split um Is this something that um is 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 uh, needs to happen in order to move forward? You know that might for instance be a cardinal split or a cardinal rift uh is it something that can somehow be mended or negotiated, or maybe we can play around with some variables and bring back people back to the table That would be a mutable eclipse okay because um, mutable signs are kind of known as the easiest signs for these rifts to, or, or these splits or even squares to take place in, because mutable signs are willing to try a different position or try another approach. This is the beauty of mutable signs. They're very accommodating. Now, the word accommodating can sometimes put people in mind of like accommodating, like easy, like, you know, we'll we'll just say whatever they need to to go along with something, or maybe there's something servile about the word accommodating. No, accommodating is wanting to figure out a fit, okay? And this is the beauty of the mutable signs. They're always working to find how to make something workable or to make something manageable. Uh, And so that's why oppositions and squares and mutable signs are uh, actually sort of considered to be the lighter of all the possible uh, difficult or negative aspects that that you can have. But this lunar eclipse isn't taking place in a mutable sign. And this lunar eclipse isn't taking place in cardinal signs. This lunar eclipse is taking place in fixed signs. And these are probably the most fixed of the fixed signs, and that would be Taurus and Scorpio. We are in the season of Scorpio right now, so we can identify the sun really quite easily. Uh, It's in the zodiac sign of Scorpio. And uh, if the sun is in the zodiac sign of Scorpio and we're going to have a lunar eclipse, that could only mean that the moon is in the zodiac sign of Taurus. And what you want to do when you look at this kind of uh, an opposition or this kind of split is that uh, what I'd like to do is sort of put them on a seesaw. <laughs> you put Scorpio on this side and you put Taurus on this side and you look you look at the things that make them essentially Scorpio and make them essentially uh, uh Taurus all right so what is what are Scorpio and Taurus going to have in common well what they're going to have in common is basically property and possessions all right um Taurus we already know is associated to land and territory bulls get very bullish about defending their Territory. And Scorpio has an association to land as well. Um, we might be like, really? It's kind of like the association of Scorpio to land. Well, these, uh, Scorpio's association to land is the things that are buried beneath it. All right. Uh, Scorpio is ruled by two planets, Mars and Pluto. Uh, if we take the modern ruler, consider the modern ruler Pluto for a moment, we know that Pluto was named after the Greek god Hades, and Hades was lord of the dead. So everything that's been buried underneath the soil is ruled by Pluto or falls within the realm of Scorpio. This is why Scorpio rules over bodies and corpses. Uh, Remember that the Day of the Dead is celebrated in the season of Scorpio. And this is why Scorpio also rules over seeds, things that are planted in the soil. Uh, Seeds that are planted in the soil that will come to life, flower, and burst to life in the season of Taurus. Okay, so this relationship of maybe Taurus flowers, Scorpio seed, uh, Taurus property and ground, turf, uh, Scorpio, the things that lie beneath that ground and that turf, the things that might render it valuable or the things that might render it a waste. Okay, let's say you have ground that's just, I don't know, dust and sand you've got dust and sand and that might not be worth much okay but let's say your ground or property is over oil or over a well of water a spring of water well suddenly it becomes quite uh valuable becomes quite abundant so there is a link between scorpio and taurus uh that's that's going on here but then this is the rift this is the split that's br- being brought about by the lunar eclipse in Taurus. Uh, lunar eclipse in Taurus meaning that it's the full moon in Taurus, the full moon in the zodiac sign of Taurus that will be disappearing from view. Now, this lunar eclipse is more intense than usual. And the reason why it's more intense than usual is because on October 28th, Mars will be opposing Jupiter.
1: Ever feel like you're navigating this vast universe alone? Imagine having a community that's on this cosmic journey with you, sharing insights, asking the big questions, being led by the world's top astrologers, and doing it all in rhythm with the lunar cycle for a consistency you can count on. From new moon ceremonies to mastery class teachings, we learn, grow, and explore together. Ready to find your astrological tribe? Join us in the inner circle during our special open enrollment period and lock in the best pricing that we offer all year. Just click the link in the description of this video or podcast, or go to astrologyhub.com/slash inner circle and join us today. I can't wait to see you on the inside.
0: Mars will be opposing Jupiter. All right, so not only are we having a lunar eclipse on October 28th, but Mars will be in Scorpio, and Jupiter, as we all know, is in Taurus, and the two of them will be forming an opposition. So whatever tensions are building to a fore, whatever has been um, underneath and rumbling and threatening to come on out, whatever dark denizens are going to come out during this lunar eclipse, they're going to come out in full force, not only because it's a lunar eclipse, into too intensely um opposite signs, Taurus and Scorpio, but that lunar eclipse is taking place on the same day that there is a Mars and Scorpio opposing the uh Jupiter in Taurus. And in addition to that, just because, you know, sometimes the planets like to have a party, we've got Mercury, the other M planet. Okay, we have Mercury also forming an opposition to Jupiter on that October 28th before it goes and conjoins or takes the side of Mars on October 29th. So there is a lot that's going on here. So when we first take a look at this, clearly our eye is going to go to Mars and Scorpio. Why is our eye going to go to Mars and Scorpio? usually the eye goes to Mars pretty quickly. Um, There's a tendency with astrologers to be like, where's that Mars? Where's that Saturn? Where's that Pluto? Okay, To sort of like ferret out where those uh, nasty little malefics might be hiding. Um, So Mars, we're going to go and we're going to see that Mars is in Scorpio and we're going to see that Mars is in its own zodiac sign, Scorpio. Meaning Mars is the ruler of the zodiac sign Scorpio. So not only are we in Scorpio season, but Mars itself is in season because it's traveling through the zodiac sign of Scorpio. So we want to take a moment and really think about what is Mars in Scorpio. Uh, Mars, we know, is named after the Roman god of war, um, who um, himself was named after the Greek god of war frenzy. Okay, uh, by the time Mars is adopted by the Romans, he's kind of cleaned up a bit and made more noble. But the Greek Mars Ares, that was his name, was more was known more as berserker fury, um, and, and 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 a god that really went looking for trouble, and and delighted in it, and was bloodthirsty. You know delighted in the blood of a battle and the greeks in uh, w- with the greeks nobody likes mars with the rome romans mars is kind of like you know um you know a champion and, and 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 there's heroism that's attached to him but with the greeks nobody likes mars he's just interested in destruction so mars rules the zodiac signs of aries and scorpio and here you can see there are two very different temperaments um uh, the first thing that gives away a difference in temperaments uh, with these two signs is that they take place at almost opposite times of year. Uh, Mars in Aries is right at the beginning of spring, okay? Or, or Aries is the zodiac sign that's associated with the spring equinox, the start of the new agricultural year. And Mars in Scorpio is associated with the time of year where everything has passed away. Uh, everything that was planted flower, bloomed and bore fruit, in spring and summer, is now laid low. And I'm referencing the Northern Hemisphere here. And I'm referencing the Northern Hemisphere here, uh, not because I'm Northern Hemisphere eccentric, but because astrology and the imageries and the ideas that inform us about the planets and the zodiac, astrology begins in the Northern Hemisphere. And astrology is very much connected to the Northern Hemisphere calendar. So here in the Northern Hemisphere, Uh, Aries is the start of the agricultural year, and Scorpio is the end of it. And so you basically have Mars and Aries, which is the thrust, um, the passion of getting things up and going, the intensity of uh, that if you don't get it up and going very quickly, it's going to be wiped out. And if you look at spring and what goes on in spring, you can see that. I mean, you have, you know, plants sort of bursting through the soil and coming to life, you know, and immediately you have the weeds that are coming out of the soil that are looking for the plants, plants bursting to life and strangling them and killing them. Okay. So, so there's a real battle uh, that goes on in spring is, you know, it's not just like spring is awakening and, you know, it's, it, there's a battle. There's a battle for space. You know, the plants come to life, they 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 burst their green shoots through, and then they begin to struggle with one another uh, for who can take over the territory. Anyone who gardens knows that if you don't separate or thin out those seedlings right away, that they're going to end up crowding each other uh, out and battling for turf and territory. That's when we get into Doris, all right? So, so Aries is really about getting things up and going, because if you don't get it up and going, then you're going to be second or third, and you're not going to be uh, at the head of the pack, and you can be wiped out. You can get taken down. You're not going to be as strong. So it's like bursting forward to live, and quite aggressively. Um, Aries is a fire sign. So Mars in, Mars in Aries can be quick to anger, but also, as I found, quick to get over it. You know, it it gets angry and it kind of flares, almost like a fever. And then when the fever breaks or the flare goes out, the Mars and Aries is over it. Okay, so this isn't really a position that carries a grudge, but it is a position that's looking for a fight. Okay, so Mars and Aries will not walk away from a fight. If there's a battle to be wrought, let's go at it. Let's go at it. You know, and 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 it likes the heat of the battle will will inflame it. All right, but once the battle's done, or one side's been vanquished or the other side wins or whatever have you, then the Mars and Aries is pretty much over it. It's like okay, that's that's how it turned on. That's how it ter- that's how all things turned out. Let's go on to the next chapter. Let's go on to the next leg of the journey or the thing that we need to take care of today. So Mars and Aries can be quick to flare up and be angry, but also quick to get over the anger. That's why a lot of times when people who are, who are in relationships with people who have Mars and Aries, what they don't really understand and they don't always like when I say this is give the person with the Mars and Aries space to get over it. Give them the space to get angry, to get loud. They will get over it really quickly. But if you say at the same time, don't do that. You're hurting my feelings. I can't, you're frightening me or whatever. You're making it worse now. That isn't to say that someone with Mars and Aries has the right to, like, tromp over everyone else's feelings and and whatever. That's exactly what they're going to do. But if you let them do that, they will get over it, and they will go back to being pretty reasonable. If they feel like they're competing with someone else, you know, like someone else is getting just as mad or getting just as loud or or saying, you're frightening me and bring it down or whatever— and at a time when they're in a headspace and they can't hear it, then it will only increase in its intensity. Okay, so that's that's kind of how Mars and Aries works. All right. Mars and Scorpio, as I said before, is coming at the end of the agricultural year. And this is when things have been laid low. All right. So uh, where Mars and Aries is kind of inflamed by a new combat or a new conflict, or or maybe even conquest or contest. Uh, let's go with Contest. It's inflamed and, and, and passioned by that. There's a kind of been there, done that quality to a Mars in Scorpio. Okay, Mars in Scorpio has lived all of that, all right? And so what Mars in Scorpio, where it's coming from, is really where things have been done wrong, where they have been done wrong or someone they care about has been done wrong, or their community has been done wrong. All right, so a Mars in Scorpio isn't going out looking for a fight, but a Mars in Scorpio is very sensitive to someone getting away with it. You know, someone criminal getting away with it. Now, it doesn't mean that the person's an actual criminal, But what we have to remember in this, uh, just to sort of break it down a little bit more here, is that there are three signs of justice in the Zodiac, Libra, Scorpio, and Sagittarius. Okay, these are three Zodiac signs that are very much bound up in the whole idea of justice. Libra is the letter of the law. Okay, this is the strict interpretation of the law. Scorpio, as you imagine, is eye for an eye. Okay, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you worse. Okay, okay. Um, and then Sagittarius is the spirit of the law. Sagittarians love to interpret. Okay, and so and so Sagittarius will take a look at the law and say, "This is too hard. This is too harsh. This is too parochial. This is too limiting. Uh, this is too punitive." Let's let's adopt the spirit of the law. We don't want bad things to happen, but let's show some clemency. Let's show some mercy. And this is something which uh, Sagittarians have a tendency to bring to a situation. So when we're dealing with Mars in Scorpio, it's, it's a fascinating combination because Scorpio is a water sign. So you get all the memory of the water signs, you know, and 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 where water signs have been hurt, um, and and they remember that they carry that hurt, that pain within their bodies. They carry that hurt, that memory, that pain within their psyches. Mars and Scorpio really carries that, and they don't forget. A right. And so any wrong that has been buried, any wrong that has been dismissed or sent out because it was inconvenient or ugly or just we're not going to deal with that outrage right now. Where other people might be like, but we stand for justice. You should deal with this outrage. No, we're not going to deal with that outrage right now. You know, where other people might be like, Oh, I'm angry, but okay, I can't fight back, you know. Mars and Scorpio is, I will fight back. I will never forget this. You know, you are not going to get off the hook. Okay. Um, A very extreme example of Mars and Scorpio is, um, I I think his name is Javert uh, from Les Miserables, the one who tracks down uh, Jean Valjean and just will not (laughs) relent (laughs) over what? I think it was eating a neighbor's apple or something like that. Some sort of like, Victor Hugo play on the Garden of Eden. But anyway, uh, I think Jean Valjean's crime is having eaten an apple or something like that. And Javert is like, anyway, that's like a Mars in Scorpio. It will not get up. It will not give up. It is relentless in its pursuit uh, because the insistence is nobody, nobody ever gets off the hook. Okay. And this is an insistence. So, you know, if you have Mars in Scorpio, you (laughs) might sort of relate to that feeling yeah. um, of not being able to give up or give in. Uh, Mars and Scorpio very much takes the uh, Scorpio adage of never forget, never forgive. <laughs> uh, no, what is it? Never forgive, never forget. All right. And, and you know, throws gasoline on that fire. Uh, but there will be a relentless pursuit of injustice. Um, and if you're not relentlessly pursuing injustice, there's a definite I'm not going to let anyone get away with it. And it doesn't matter what side of the battle you end up on. It's a Mars in Scorpio is, I'm not going to let this person get off the hook. I'm not going to let this person get away with it. There can be some dark tones to that, uh, like Javert and Les Miserables, or there can be light tones in terms of, you know, an insistence that justice, that someone answered to justice. Okay, that's going to be also very much connected with a Mars in Scorpio. So Mars and Scorpio always fights with life or death stakes. It's plu—it's Plutonian-infused, because Pluto is the modern ruler. So um, whenever they fight, it's for life and death stakes. Uh, it's as if their life depends on it. And uh, there's also this feeling that there's something to be angry about. Mars and Aries kind of goes, will react to a fight. You know, if there's a fight on the playground, Mars and Aries is like, oh, who's kicking whose butt? You know, they're like over there in it, you know, maybe even joining in the barroom brawl. Um, Mars and Scorpio is more like, um, I have been wronged. Uh, my loved one has been wronged. My family has been wronged. My people have been ha- have been wronged. My country has been wronged. So there's definitely a sense of vendetta with a Mars and Scorpio and retaliation. Okay, if you hurt me, I am so going to mess you up. And as you can imagine, a Mars and Scorpio carries nurses a grudge. It's not going to give it up easily. Okay, so now let's talk about this opposition to Jupiter. Jupiter, lovely Jupiter in Taurus. Um, I'm going to share with you in just a moment a quick little passage, just a quick little bit from the Iliad. Um, I love the Iliad. I love the Iliad. (laughs) I was like, it's almost an alliteration. I love the Iliad. Um, I love the Iliad, and I love the Odyssey. Um, And I also understand how the Iliad and the Odyssey, like uh, Shakespeare or like the Bible, can be very challenging for people. You know, uh, like the Bible, for instance, the Iliad has endless rosters of names. Okay. There's there's the names of all the Achaeans who go and fight against Troy and the Bible. There's someone begetting someone who's begetting someone who begot someone, you know, it just like goes on endlessly. And those can be very challenging. And certainly Shakespeare's language can be a little challenging, you know, to get through. But there's such precious gold in that text. <laughs> okay. And, and, And and it's not like, and when I say precious gold in the text, it's not like discovering how to translate it, like the Hammurabi Code or something like that. What it is is that in the experience of the text, of reading the text, of really plunging into the text, it's very similar to astrology. It yields fruit. It yields resonance. It really it doesn't give us the answer, you know, but it gives us an experience of something that's that's hard to describe outside of the text that you're reading or or looking at. Um, but one of the reasons why I love the Iliad when I talk about astrology is the Iliad is kind of like world wrestling, okay, with <laughs> this battle that's going on between the gods that have si- sided with Troy and the gods that have sided with Greece. Um, what's going on in the regular day-to-day lives of the Trojans and the Greeks or the Achaeans is not uh, wrestling. It's, it's life or death stakes, and, and people are getting killed, and horrible things are happening. Um, but for the gods, it's because they're, they're immortal. They're not, they're not mortal. They can't really be hurt, although they get hurt a couple of times in the Iliad. Um, this is like world wrestling. It's like, you know, let's slam someone, let's you know go against. It. And you can almost imagine the gods in their finery, like, you know, jumping into the mat and taking each other down to the mat and pounding their heads and things like this. There is a moment in this world wrestling that's going on with the god. There's a moment where um, Ares, the god of war, has been wounded. He's been wounded by a mortal. Actually, what happened is that the, uh, the Greek warrior. Uh, who wounds him is protected by Athena, who's really kind of the female version of Ares and also the better version of Ares. You know, uh, Athena wears armor and has a spear, just like Ares, and she's a battle goddess, like Ares. But unlike Ares, Athena is wise. Okay. There's always a clear plan to Athena. And so Athena could be like a strategist in battle, you know, whereas Ares is just like, you know, give me a sword, You know, sort of the Greek version, at least. And so there's a a scuffle. And um, this warrior aided by Athena who gets right behind him, she gets right behind him with a spear. This warrior uh, spears Ares in the side. And because Athena is behind the warrior, she's behind his arm, her divinity Uh, is able to penetrate the divinity of Ares. (laughs) So she's uh, they spear him in the gut. He's like, uh, you know. And then Athena's like, let's do it again. (laughs) She's a warrior goddess. And the warrior's like, sure, I think it's Diomedes or something like that. He's like, let's. She's like, yeah. (laughs) And they throw that spear into the side of Ares again in pitched battle. And they say that Ares cries out like 700 men crying out and bellowing in pain. And he flies from the battlefield, he flies from the battlefield, and he goes rushing up to Mount Olympus. He goes rushing up to heaven and 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 he goes rushing up to his father, his father Zeus. Zeus, by the way, fathered both Ares and Athena, but this is the thing: Athena was fathered from the body of Zeus without um, an intermediary, without, without a mother, okay? Uh, he's uh, Athena's self generated from the body of Zeus, whereas Ares is the product of Zeus and Hera. Okay. And um, so Ares shows up on Olympus and he's got these gashes and he's like, oh, that hurts, you know, type of thing. I mean, that was comedic in the way that they play it. Like everyone else is like, you know, fighting for blood and go- glory and, you know, whatever. And he's like, oh, that hurts, you know, and he shows up on Olympus and he sits down next to his father and he's like, do you see what Athena did to me? Do you see what Athena did to me? She hurt me, you know, and there's this moment that Homer just has a beautiful way of putting it, he says, um, then looking at him, okay, so so Ares sits down and he's like, did you see what Athena did to me? She hurt me, you know, and Zeus just like looks over at Ares, you know, and uh, then looking at him darkly, hmm? then looking at him darkly, Zeus who gathers the clouds, spoke to him. I love that. Then looking at him darkly, Zeus, who gathers the clouds, like a dark cloud, right? So looking at him darkly, Zeus, who gathers the clouds, uh, spoke to him. Do not sit beside me and whine, you double-faced liar. To me, you are the most hateful of all the gods who hold Olympus. Forever quarreling is dear to your heart, wars and battles. Truly the anger of Hera, your mother, is grown out of all hand, nor gives ground. I love that. Okay, I just, I I know I'm stopping, but I just, I I have to. Okay, so he begins with like, don't sit beside me whining, (laughs) you know, you double-faced life. I mean, there is such contempt that Zeus shows for Ares. And this is very important because there is a contempt that Jupiter shows for Mars. All right. Now, this comes from the fact that Jupiter and Venus are the benefics in astrology. And uh, so they're on team benefic. Okay. <laughs> so um Mars and Saturn are on team malefic, all right? And so um where Venus is more, you know, Venus finds a way to get along with everyone and to make everyone get along with her, all right? But with Jupiter, there's real animosity, okay? Uh, in Jupiter-Saturn conjunctions or squares or oppositions, for instance, you can see the animosity, and it's the animosity of son against father. You know, Jupiter is, is sired from from Saturn, and he overthrows his fire, uh, his, his father okay, uh, father Saturn, Saturn, son Jupiter. And so there's a real animosity between the two of them. Um, but what's fascinating here, when you take this from the Iliad, is the animosity that exists between Zeus and Aries is also paralleled in the animosity that exists between Jupiter and Mars. Now, some people might be like, really? I mean, doesn't like Jupiter just sort of like expand Mars and make it more martian or something like that and not really okay uh jupiter next to mars can certainly be very robust okay and it can be very powerful um and yeah maybe it does expand the powers of mars but not in a good way um just as a side note i've you know i when when i began in astrology uh there would always sort of be a sort of Benefic side to a Jupiter Mars contact in a chart, like it was just maybe, if there were faults, it's because it overreached uh, or 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 it wanted too much. But I have found in in recent years that Jupiter Mars contacts can actually be quite brutal uh, in a natal chart uh, if they show up particularly in squares and oppositions. So here, when we go to the Iliad, we have, Do not sit beside me and whine, you double-faced liar. To me, you are the most hateful of all the gods who hold Olympus. And that makes a lot of sense. Coming from a planet that is about governing, and that is about humanity, and that is about good begetting good. Okay, this is one of the many things that Jupiter stands for in an astrological chart. Okay, it stands for justice it's it's a it's a planet associated with the god of justice Ju, uh Jupiter named after Zeus, the uh god of the polis, the city state good government, okay, what is the thing that is the most uh inimical or bad to good government? well, it's war right um it's 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 what war does you know it's 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 an invading army it's going to upset your people uh it's going to overthrow your government uh it's going to destroy all your lands and properties so there, there's, there's backing uh, for this idea that Jupiter and, and Mars are antagonistic with one another. Um, and so he says, to you, you are the most hateful of all the gods who hold Olympus. I love that. Who hold Olympus. Forever quarreling is dear to your heart. You know, Jupiter is a planet named after a god that's associated to oaths, to treaties, to truces, to pledges to agreements that hold back chaos or cacophony or catastrophe. You know, the idea of, of standing together, you know, is very much connected to the idea of Jupiter. Where Jupiter falls in your chart is going to talk about how your chart is governed, okay? Because Jupiter is a governing, is a governing planet in an astrological chart. So, to me, you are the most hateful of all the gods who hold Olympus, wars and battles. A uh, forever quarrelling is dear to your heart, wars and battles. Truly, the anger of Hera, your mother, is grown out of all hand, nor gives ground. I love that line. Okay, um, you know, so so what happens with many parents who are at odds with themselves and who don't like their children? They blame it on the other parent. Okay, so so Zeus. Who is the father of um, Ares is basically saying in this elaborate Greek, you're your mother's child. <laughs> you know, he's saying, you know, you, uh, you came from your mother. <laughs> I had nothing to do with it. Um, my shining example is Athena, goddess of wisdom, and you are this horrible, you know, smelly, bloody god of war who just delights in distress and 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 turbulence and trouble. Truly the anger of Hera, your mother is grown out of all hand, nor gives ground. He's describing weeds, you know? He's describing um, things that are not properly gardened or cultivated. The anger of Hera, your mother, is grown out of all hand. Okay, so think of a of a lawn that hasn't been kept or a garden that hasn't been um, uh, uh, taken care of. Of a, of a land that hasn't been tilled. Things grow on it and they grow out of all hand. So the anger of Hera, he describes as growing out of all hand, nor gives ground. And what he does in that beautiful line of poetry is that he transforms the idea of things growing out of hand and then the ground that it's, it doesn't give ground. So it, it's describing something that overtakes and it doesn't give ground. There's no yielding. There's no relenting. There are no ceasefires. There are no appeasements. There are no ways to effect a truce when one is in the face of this anger. It's grown out of all hand, and it doesn't give ground, okay? It's not open to anything uh, positive or constructive or good. It feeds on itself, and becomes barbed wires of weeds is an idea that i get you know and so he says this about his wife hera and then he concludes and try as i may i am broken by her arguments i love that line try as i may i am broken by her arguments so hera who is this outraged wife this mother of ares the god of war um, is she repressed? Is she overcome? Is she, you know, uh, uh, dealt with harshly by Zeus or no, uh, or whatever? No, Hera is an equal player. Okay, and so her anger is something that he has to answer for. Um, and and when he says, "And try as I may, you know, to make good for her, to show her truce, to show her peace, try as I may, I am broken by her arguments. My pledges don't hold." My betrothals don't hold. My promises don't hold when in the face of Hera's ire. And yet, I will not long endure to see you in pain since you are my child, he continues with Ares. Um, And it was to me that your mother bore you. Okay, so I cannot endure to see you in pain. I have a father's love for you. I don't know where it comes from, but I have a father's love for you. And since you are my child, and it was to me that your mother bore you. but And this is the zinger. But were you born of some other god, and proved so ruinous, long since you would have been dropped beneath the gods of the bright day. I love that. If you were born like I have to, I have to care that you've been hurt in battle because you are my blood. Okay, and I do care. I'm your father, but. Were you born of some other god and proved so ruinous, long since you would have dropped beneath the gods of the bright day? If you came from somewhere else, I would have kicked your butt out of Olympus a long time ago. And this is Zeus talking. And this is Jupiter talking. Okay. And this is what gets... This is what I find fascinating about the planet Jupiter. Jupiter will disassociate from anything that's negative, dark, angry, or bad, okay? Regardless of the zodiac sign it's in, by the way, okay? And so this is where Jupiter really takes after Zeus. We have to ask questions. Why is Hera so angry, okay? It's because Zeus is stooping, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> any maiden goddess, Nereid, Nymph, or whatever, who comes along and betraying you know, his marriage to her. Uh, Zeus and Hera, by the way, are the god and goddess of marriage in Greece. That tells you what the attitude was about marriage in ancient Greece. And there's a whole long story I'll tell you another time. But um, why is Hera so angry? It's because of the infidelities. It's because of the humiliation. It's because of the way Zeus just waves it off like it's no big deal, or disguises himself as a swan or golden rain as he intrudes on his different romantic conquests. Okay. So there's that rage of having been cheated. Okay. That, that your spouse is cheating on you. That enrages Hera. But another thing enrages Hera as well that I always found really, really fascinating. Okay. Um, Hera is the goddess of marriage. But Hera is also the goddess of children, infants and children. And so imagine if you are married to someone who is begetting all of these children on all of these different women, who for the most part, some of them agree, some of them are seduced, some of them don't agree. Okay. And so, um, and, and, but Zeus is just spreading his seed around, you know, he's, He's, you know, making more, more populous his people. Uh, uh, go out into the world and multiply, you know, your fruit, all right, um, is, is one of the uh, original edicts of the Bible, you know, uh, go and, and, and be plentiful, have lots of children. And Zeus takes this, he's having lots of children. Well, Hera is not only being cheated, and that's often how she's portrayed, but Hera has a secondary function, which I think is actually a primary function. She she gets angry at the women, you know, that he seduces, but she also will defend and protect the women who have been harmed, raped, or the children who are brought up illegitimately. Okay, she is a patron goddess. She's the goddess that women who have been raped or wronged or beaten by their husbands, she's the one they pray to, you know, and this doesn't get as much airplay. In Greek mythology, as some of the other attributes. So, there's very good reason that Hera is angry at Zeus, you know, who's just sort of like, I don't know, just slipped out of my toga. (laughs) You know, that's his casual relationship um, to his fertility. Um, And so, Hera is actually standing in for the anger of women who have been used and abused, Uh, anger of women who have been abandoned, who are raising children um, from people who are not. Providing child support or are even around, and so this is the very justifiable anger and fury of Hera that's coming out, and so, but but what's important here? What's the tech, take takeaway here? Jupiter has a tendency to justify. Remember, Jupiter is is named after a god of justice. All right, Jupiter has a tendency to justify its actions. Okay, to wave away the parts that it doesn't like. Um, you can see this with. And I love Sagittarius and Pisces. I love you guys, but you can see it with Sagittarians and Pisces. They'll just sort of wave away, like an empirical, you know, wave away. Oh, that's not that's not of any importance. Not That's not a big deal, okay? And Jupiter, if it's very strong in the chart, will have a tendency to wave away. Because there's an exceptionalism that can be built into Jupiter. i set the rules, but the rules don't apply to me. You know, I'm good, you know? And if you have too much Jupiter in a the chart, there can be justification self righteousness and and a conviction that what you do is good it's for the better good I'm good I don't do bad things and you know what if I do bad things it's because I was forced to right if I do bad things it's because I was forced to if I uh cheat on you it's because you weren't paying attention paying enough attention to me in the relationship so I decided to go and just find someone who would pay attention to me in the relationship. I mean, it's a a goofy example, or maybe not, but that's an example of Jupiter justification, okay? And also this inherent Jupiterian exceptionalism. Yes, I will keep the laws, I will keep the treaties, but they don't apply to me, all right? And so this is what you see with this Mars-Jupiter opposition that's taking place. You can see in a vitriol of of Mars, um, you know that Mars and Scorpio, that anger comes from a real place. Uh, the facts may be covered over, the bodies may be buried, but that blood, right? That blood uh, insists on vengeance. It's, it comes from the Furies, and so Mars and Scorpio has that furious uh, tendency to it. Um, and so Jupiter and Taurus is like well, I had a right to take over this land or to take over this possession or I was entitled to this or, or you know, I'm the one who took care of this and so I have a right to this and, and um, you know, this is mine, you know, type of thing. That could be very Jupiter and Taurus, right? And, and so it's opposite of Mars and Scorpio, which is like, no, you don't have a right to the land. You can't just take it over. You can't just, you know, pretend that bad things never happened because they don't square with your positive view of the world. And so this is the rift that we're seeing, and this might be the rift that you're experiencing in your own life, you know? And of course, with an opposition, you kind of have to ask yourself, am I on the Mars side or the Jupiter side? Or sometimes it can happen in uh, opposition. You know, you play out Jupiter for a while, then you play out the Mars, and you play out Jupiter, but you're probably going to be on one of the two sides. Are you with the Greeks or, or are you with the Trojans? Um and, and so this is what's going to be playing out and it's inflamed. This is not like a casual disagreement. This is inflamed. This is, you know, this is like, you know, I have a right to this. I worked for this. This is mine. Versus you don't have a right to it. Do you know that you took it from from someone? You 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 annexed it. You 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 took it over, you know, you've caused pain and anger, and so it's coming back at you, and it's like, oh, you're like your mother, you know, and you can hear the argument that's going on, and maybe it's something that you can relate to in some area of your life. Then we have Mercury thrown into the mix. You know, Mercury always reminds me of one of those kids from, I don't know, the Bowery Street book, was it the bowery boys or something like that you know those 1930s films about who were like tough kids down in the lower east side you know and and you know hey frankie you know and they're always getting into fights and scuffles and things like that and you know mercury kind of reminds me of the smaller one you know the the little kid who hangs out with the bully who's like you know kick us you know hit him hit him hit him harder you know so you've got mercury siding with um uh, uh, Mars, and Mercury will always take the side of the planet it's next to, okay? This is just how Mercury works in an astrological chart. And so Mercury next to Mars would be like, yes, injustices, yes, horrible things done. Yes, sometimes you have to break some eggs to make an omelet, you know, break them, break them, you know? So 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 Mercury can take on a very provocative tone uh, with its opposition to the Jupiter, you know? to Jupiter, you know, and so then it conjoins Mars on the following day. And so that's, that's going to become even more inciting to anger, like, like, like maybe telling stories or sending gifts or, or altered images on the internet or things like that. anything to inflame, you know, could be the gossip, the rumor. You know, I didn't tell you this about Paul, but you know, this can be Mercury when it's riled up and, 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 and definitely when it's nearer Mars, it's doing, it's, if there's gasoline that's being thrown in the fire, Mercury's running around and grabbing the sticks and the things that can be thrown onto it as well. Um, and, and it doesn't bring out the best side of Mercury, but you know, um, that's kind of what Mercury does in a configuration like this. But again, this is why I like to share an example like Iliad. like, like the gods will change their dispositions. they will change their sides, just like the planets will change their dispos- dispositions and the planets will change their sides depending on the particular transit or the position that they're taking up in the sky. Um, So as you can imagine, this lunar eclipse is going to bring up a lot of incendiary feelings and a lot of rifts and splits. Now, I have to tell you, this is going to go on for three weeks. Sorry, but I I can't make the planets move any faster. But it's going to go on for three weeks because we have these planetary oppositions taking place between Taurus and Scorpio. And so it's going to get very inflamed. And when it gets inflamed like this, it's hard because the flame is an infernal flame, so it's coming from a place of hurt and pain and and, and injustice, perhaps. But because it's coming from that place, it's like one wrong doesn't make a right. So one wrong's being met by another wrong, being met by another wrong being met by another wrong until you end up with a dagwood sandwich that's 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 taking place. So wherever you are in it, whether you're the side that's been wronged or the side that's doing the wronging, and believe me, the side that feels wronged is wronging or is perceived as wronging by the other side, and the side that's doing the wrong feels wronged. I I mean, it's just, there's a lot of wrong getting wrong out uh, during this particular part of opposition. It's hard to stop it, okay? It's hard to stop it. But all it takes is one side to stop it. And so, no matter where you fall in this rift, in this screaming match between planets that take place this week, and will continue for uh, two more until the next new moon, wherever you are, I'm going to ask you to take on the challenge um, to take on the challenge of being the adult in the room. So if you've got these kids screaming at each other, you know, or if you've got people who aren't taking responsibility for the position, saying, you know, you're your mother's son, it's up to you, if you can, to be the adult in the room. You may not solve it, but you will help to bring those stampeding horses to a stop.
1: Every day, people around the globe turn to astrology to find inner peace and fulfillment and navigate the tricky and complex world around them, only to be left lost and confused by resources that demand too much of their time, energy, and brain power. And while learning astrology isn't supposed to be simple, it's a whole lot easier when you can tap into the minds of the world's best astrology experts and a community of like-minded souls who are here to support you on your journey. That's where we come in. Welcome to Astrology Hub's Inner Circle. Home for curious newbies, devoted enthusiasts, and anyone looking to use astrology to consciously navigate their path ahead and transform their lives. Inner Circle members get exclusive access to new astrologer guides each month, detailed live new moon and full moon forecasts, a new mastery class each month teaching a different astrological technique, monthly live chart demos and Q&A with astrologer guides with a chance to submit your chart to be used as an example. When you sign up during this special enrollment period, you'll also get three bonus mastery classes. And to put the cherry on top of the cake, we're offering you the Inner Circle membership at 45% off the cost of the regular price. Now through October 22nd, if you sign up now, you'll lock in this special price for as long as you are a member. Go to astrologyhub.com slash inner circle to learn more and join us today. I really hope that you'll join us on the inside. This podcast is presented by Astrology Hub. You can learn more and find all of our shows at astrologyhub.com slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you can stay up to date on the latest episodes and help more people find the wisdom of astrology. Thank you for taking the time to do this now. Thank you for being a part of our community and for making astrology a part of your life.